I've titled the message this evening, Hope After Halftime. Hope After Halftime. Um, probably most of us will be jumping into the game, you know, around halftime, probably maybe a little before, but around halftime. And uh, who knows where the Lions will be. And maybe you're not a football fan. I'm sorry, you're going to be excluded from this introduction if, you're, if you don't watch football. You know, who knows where they'll be. I'm, I'm hoping that we'll turn it on. We'll find them up by a touchdown or two. Uh, but, uh, you know, maybe not. But even if they're behind, we know that that second half can do a lot. There's a lot that can happen. There's a whole half of the game yet to go. There's still hope after halftime. In Micah chapter 4, we're going to see a halftime break, so to speak, in the plan of God for human history. And we're going to see the hope that comes at the end of that interim. In Micah chapter 4 already, we've, we've discussed the first five verses together, and uh, really, Micah is discussing what will happen in the millennial reign of Christ. The, this time where Christ establishes His rule in a tangible way on earth after the tribulation and will last a thousand years, uh, and will lead into an eternal reign of Christ that will last forever. Uh, but there are some unique characteristics about this millennial reign of Christ. And uh, this will be an age where those who believe now will be made whole, will be glorified and righteous. And though in this age there may be some sin and rebellion, it will be an age where justice reigns and peace is established on earth. And that's what the the first five verses of this chapter are talking about. We get these beautiful pictures such as uh, swords being beat into plowshares. You won't need your sword anymore. There will be peace. And there will be, no one will need to be afraid. The, the fear will be gone. There will be nothing to be afraid of because we are watched over and there's justice established in God's kingdom. But that time is not yet. And in Micah chapter 4, in just a moment, we're going to see Micah discussing the halftime break, this interim time between when he is writing, which is towards really the end of the, the Davidic reign, the kingly reign, the kingly time of Israel, and, and the long gap of time before this kingship, this kingdom would be reestablished and God's reign reestablished on earth. I will admit to you before we jump into the text that these are very difficult texts and it takes a lot of effort and I'm standing on the shoulders of giants in interpreting what Micah means. And honestly, as Micah spoke this prophecy to the original hearers, um, we are able to have a better understanding of it than they did because we have the benefit of not only uh, the witness of Christ's first coming, which we talked about all the way through the book of Mark, it's Christ's first coming. We have that witness. So we're able to see pieces of the puzzle of God's plan being put into place and have some details that the original recipients of this prophecy don't have. We also have the witness of all of the history that followed that that helps us kind of put things theologically in their place. It wasn't necessarily God's design when He gave this prophecy for everybody to know the answer to every question. The purpose that this prophecy was ever given was just so that people would have hope. Just so that they would know that this is all going somewhere. And God has a plan. Honestly, there are still a lot of pieces of the puzzle that we don't have. 
when we're talking about the last things and, and, and the future, there are a lot of details that God did not see fit to fill in for us. And maybe that bothers you, but the point of the prophecy was not for us to be fortune tellers. The point of the prophecy was just so that we could be reassured that God has a plan. He hasn't given up. There's something that this is all going towards. So as we, as we understand this, I understand that there will probably be a few question marks where I'll, I'll present to you some ideas in these verses of how we can take this. But it's not about us figuring out all the questions and systematizing everything. It's about taking from this that God has a plan and there is hope for the future. Okay, we'll, uh, we'll do what we've done with this study. It's more of a lesson than a sermon. We'll work verse by verse uh, through these several verses and, and talk about what they mean. And then at the end, I'll tell you what it means for you. Why, why does it matter for me? So I'll give you kind of a running commentary. Uh, Micah chapter 4, verse 6. In that day, what day? Remember back to what we talked about last week. This is the last days. Okay, This is, this is the end times we're talking about. In that day, saith the Lord, Will I assemble her that halteth, or, or limps, the, the, her that limps, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted, and I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. If you had to guess, who is the one limping? Who is the she here? This is Israel. And why is Israel limping? Well, because they've been under the hand of God's judgment, which took the form of the oppression of foreign nations. And because of this, Israel is limping and has been taken into captivity and dispersed and oppressed. And, and we have a promise from God that there is an end to this judgment. And the end will be a restoration of Israel and the Lord reestablishing His reign from Jerusalem forever. Has that happened yet? No. God promises He will reassemble His people to Jerusalem to establish them as a great nation once again, one over whom Jesus, if you understand who the Lord is we're talking about, Jesus directly reigns. Micah himself may have assumed, we don't know even what Micah understood of the message he brought, Micah himself may have assumed that the end of the Babylonian captivity would be when God would establish this kingdom. But if you pay attention to the history of the end of the Babylonian captivity, like we talked about uh, a few weeks ago when we talked about the book of Nehemiah, you'll see that that can't be when God fulfilled this promise because Israel never became a great nation again. Their, their king was never reestablished. There really hasn't been a legitimate king in, Ingles, in, in Israel since uh, the reign of Zechariah. And so um, that can't have already been done. It is still future. And, and the thing is that there was an, there's an unexpected interim in God's plan. A halftime break, if you will. One that I am very thankful for. Because in the interim, the unexpected interim, God, didn't tell, God did not tell them about this interim because that wasn't the point of this. The point of this was to give them hope for the future. But in this interim, God gave us the church. 
And Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and offered salvation to all people. Uh, so I'm very thankful for the unexpected halftime in God's plan. But that's, uh, that's what's happening here. We have this promise, verse 8, and, though, and thou, excuse me, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Even the, even the first dominion, the kingdom, shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. There's a lot of heavy terminology. This tower that's mentioned is Jerusalem. And it, the idea is that the shepherd will stand on this tower to oversee and protect and guard his sheep. It's almost like a lifeguard tower at the beach where, where the lifeguard stands on top to oversee. Well, Jerusalem in the, millennia, in the millennium, in the millennial reign of Christ, is from where Christ will rule. And rule as not, not a tyrant, but a shepherd. You also see here the term the first dominion, which you could probably figure out means that God intends to restore a previous line of kings that had existed in Israel. And who is David's descendant who will sit on this throne? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. You can see how Micah's not filling in all of those blanks for you, but he's giving you enough that we can point back to this and see that's how God did it. That's how God did it. And that's how God will do it through Jesus Christ when He returns. So verse, verses 6-8 through eight really they kind of reestablish the promise that we talked about in the first five verses. They restate this promise for the millennium. Then verses 9-13 through 13 are about the halftime. They're about the interim. They're about all of the things that will characterize the time between now judgment and future restoration. Verse 9, Now why dost thou cry out why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? Here's a verse that shares a variety of interpretations. Some people would say that the counselor perishing here would be Jesus. I don't think so. I think that this is talking about, um, I said Zechariah before, that was, that was, a, that was a, mis, uh, a misnomer. Uh, this is Zedekiah, the last king of Judah. I think that's who this is talking about. There, there would come a time where there would be a last king of Judah, a last king in Israel, and then no more kings, and the line of kings would seemingly have ended. And uh, Zedekiah's reign ended in the early 500s B.C., and since then, Israel has not had a legitimate king. They've had governors, they've had prime ministers, they've had every kind of ruler, but not a king to claim the throne. Micah prophesies that the halftime of God's plan here would be a time that could feel hopeless to Israel because they had no king. They had no ruler to unite their people and restore them as a great nation. But these hopeless or sometimes hopeless feeling days should actually be filled with hope. Because if you look at the second half of verse 9, we find that these pains of insecurity and these pains of oppression are actually uh, a sign that God is still at work. Look at the ver second half of verse 9. For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. So the trials in this interim that Israel would face, the, their dispersion, their oppression, their lack of leadership, was all 
meant to point them to something better that was coming. Micah's saying, think of all of these trials and all of these pains like the birth pains of a woman giving birth where, yes, it's difficult and yes, it's painful and yes, it's miserable, but at the end of this, something new will come that will make it all worthwhile. And we get this, uh, we actually get this analogy repeated in the New Testament. Uh, again, talking about looking forward to Christ's second coming and the birth pains that lead up to the fulfillment of God's promise. Um, I, I think back to when Judah was born and I was blessed to be there. It was just after that COVID period where they were really limiting, really, really limiting who could be in the room. But I was blessed to be able to be there. And it was an eye-opening experience for me, uh, to say the least. But I know Olivia's a, Olivia's a trooper. Olivia's a trooper, and she did so great, but very difficult, a very difficult process. Obviously, that's actually part of the fall. It's part of the curse, the, the pain in childbearing and childbirth. But um, uh, that pain led to something that was totally worth it. And I think all of the women who have been through that in this room would probably attest yeah, that was miserable, but it was totally worth it because there was something glorious at the end. This is the picture we get. Yeah, Israel, you're going to go through some really terrible things, but these are birth pains of what God is going to do. He's going to fix it all. It's all going to be better. Second half of verse 10 here. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon, there shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. So, Micah says, during this interim, before God fulfills all the promises that the first half of chapter 4 talks about, something is going to happen. You are going to be taken away out of your home into Babylon. And here's the really crazy thing, and here's why you should absolutely trust Micah's prophecy. There are pieces of it that we've already seen fulfilled. At this time, Nobody was thinking about Babylon. At the time that Micah is writing, the big world power that's causing all the trouble is Assyria. Babylon's not really on the scene yet. They're not really a threat yet. And Micah is prophesying that these people will be carried away into, why Babylon? Well, because God already knew how the, the wheels of history would turn and that Babylon would become a major power and though Assyria would begin the oppression, it was really Babylon who would carry away the last of the people into, uh, into their exile. So that, there you go, that's for free. But this prophecy, Micah says, you'll go into Babylon and you'll be in Babylon and you'll be delivered from Babylon. Did that happen? Yeah, it did. We talked about that in Nehemiah. We talked about the return from Babylon. The fact that, yes, they were carried away and uh, really, you know, the, the final destruction of really all of that happened in the early 500s. That's where, where things really came to a head. But then by the mid-500s, we're seeing returns back into the land. And uh, God fulfilling this promise, you will be taken captive and you'll see destruction even the temple destroyed in Jerusalem and the walls torn down, none of that to reach its former splendor at all. But God's promise here is already fulfilled. The, they are released from Babylon and, and many of the Jewish people return 
to Jerusalem and to their land. So this has already happened. Now, verse 11, we're still in the interim here. We've just got a description of that first section of the halftime. Okay, the first act of the halftime show. But here's, here's the next part. Now also many nations are gathered against thee that say, let her be defiled, let our eye look upon Zion. So here's the next aspect of, of this time period. The nations gather against Israel and they look at Israel, they look at Jerusalem, and they say, let her be defiled and let our eye look upon Zion. The nations gather to take Jerusalem for themselves. And um, considering present company, the, this expression here is very strong what the nations plan to do. Um, and just mindful of present company, let's just say the imagery here is of a crime that would be considered against, committed against an innocent young woman that would begin with a prison sentence and end on a registry. Okay? This is the mentality that the enemies of Israel look upon the Holy Land with. They want to ravage it. So when, is, when did this happen? When is this happening? When have many nations gathered against Zion? Um, and now it seems to me, based on how Micah is laying this out, that this is happening after the exile and the return. So they've already gone to Babylon, they've already come back, and now these nations are gathered against Israel. So what period of history is being foretold here? Is this the opposition that we read about during Nehemiah's time of, of uh, Sanballat and Tobiah and all of the people um, who, who oppressed them as they tried to rebuild the walls? Is this the danger that they faced under Artaxerxes' reign? Is this the Roman Empire? Is this the Nazis? Is this Hamas? Who is this? Who are these nations that gather? And honestly, I would say take your pick. It seems to me that nations gathering against Israel and eyeing it the way that it is being eyed here seems to kind of be the recurring theme of Israel's history from this prophecy until today. And in how many major world conflicts has Israel been at the center? And you have even now today all these nations and they're teaming up to try to take the land. I'd suggest that maybe this was Micah's point. In this interim, in this halftime, Israel would be characterized by opposition by foreign powers and not really ever know peace. Not really ever know re true restoration until the Restorer would come. So this is the, the picture that Micah paints of, of halftime. I keep using this term. I hope it's not getting old to you. Uh, the interim in God's plan. The picture is that Israel would be in and out of bondage, that they would be opposed and in conflict with foreign powers, that they would be without a legitimate king, that they would be scattered around the world. Uh, Micah hit the nail on the head. This is all characteristic of what Israel has faced in this time period between the end of of Israel's uh, kingdom and the future kingdom of Christ. Verse 12, but they, okay, we lost track a little bit, so the they here is the foreign powers that we're just talking about. Know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they his counsel. When these foreign powers stand against Israel, 
they ultimately stand against God. This is really, honestly, truly not meant to be a cherry-picked, timely message that has to do with some kind of political happening in the world right now. But it does make sense with what we're seeing politically in the world right now. And I think we would be remiss not to see God's working in history. These nations who oppose Israel don't know who they're really messing with. And I don't mean the Israeli armed forces. I mean God. I'll read, read the verse again. But they, the foreign powers that oppress Israel and want to take its land, know not the thoughts of the Lord, neither understand they His counsel. And then in, in the rest of that verse, look what God does to the enemies of Israel. For He shall gather them as the sheaves into the floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make thine horn iron and I will make thy hoofs brass, and thou shalt beat in pieces many people, and I will consecrate their gain unto the Lord, and their substance unto the Lord of the whole earth. Micah does not tell us when this will happen. The enemies of Israel gathered by God as sheaves of grain to be trampled out. But John does. John the Apostle fills in the blanks of when this will happen. And John tells us at the end of his book, Revelation, that this will happen at the battle of Armageddon. One day after the church has been taken up into heaven and after tribulation has fallen upon the earth, God will avenge His people. These promises will be fulfilled and justice will be done. And Micah tells us that from the spoils of that battle, Jesus Christ will establish His kingdom on earth. All these pagan nations, they they want to be the enemies of Israel. They want, for whatever reason, this tiny tract of land and they really don't like Israel. And Israel has cried out during these childbirth pangs over the last few millennia, they have cried out to God, deliver us! And God will answer that cry. He is a God who fulfills His promises. And, and throughout history, people have tried to um, erase these promises because they can't see how God is fulfilling it. And then every time we see a movement in history where God is definitely putting the pieces into place to fulfill these words, there's like a resurgence of premillennialism. And people, you know, think of like when, when the state of Israel was reinstated uh, as, a, as a recognized nation, and uh, suddenly premillennialism was all the rage again. <laughs> like people who had thought, well, you know, that doesn't make sense anymore because uh, I can't see how God would do that. And it's now like, wait a minute wait a minute, God could do that. In fact, everything looks like what it should look like for God to do that. I take God's promises at their word. I just expect that though you know the whole church thing was kind of an unexpected movement for the people who received this prophecy, God still means to keep His word. That's who He is. If you've been with us for when we went through the prayers in Genesis and we saw with Abraham 
Abraham was constantly convinced that God didn't mean what he said he meant. Certainly you didn't mean that. Uh, I'll find a workaround for, to make your plan work my way. And I feel like if we take prophecy and we do that, we end up with some of the other millennial views where we say, ah, I can't see how God would fulfill this promise with what he's doing in the world right now and what he's doing with the church right now. So I will write off all of that and say it was figurative and, and give God a pass. No, I think God intends to fulfill this promise. I think He made these promises to Israel. He, tends to, he intends to fulfill them to Israel and also fulfill so many other promises He's made to us, the church. It's, it's not like God can't do both. He's God. So how do we apply this? Obviously, we are a church. We are not Israel. But I will say this. We can take the main message of Micah to heart which is that God wants us to live in hope. He wants us to live with a confident expectation of where God wants us to end up. Though we are being brought through trial, though we are being brought through tribulation, and we're not Israel, but we also feel some of these pangs of wanting it all to be fixed, and God will fulfill those promises. There is a finish line where Jesus reigns and all the wrongs are made right. Though He hasn't filled in all the blanks for us, He wants us to know that He has a plan. He hasn't forgotten. And He's going to make everything right. I know that there's stuff that's wrong in your life. There's stuff that isn't the way that it should be. And there's really no way to to beat around the bush with that. And uh, I know that there are things wrong in the world. And Every time you turn on the news, you just cannot believe what you're seeing. But God has a plan to right every wrong and wipe away every tear. He wants us to live in hope, a confident expectation of what God will do to redeem His people, to right the wrongs, and to establish His kingdom. Let's pray together and we'll sing a closing song. Father, thank You that every word of God is true and that the, though the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of God stands forever. Thank You that we can take these promises for granted. That we can assume that there is a bright hope for the future. One where Jesus Christ reigns and there is justice and peace. Father, help us to be desperate to share this message of hope with the world a world that has put all of their stock in the here and now, but should be looking to a glorious future reign of our Savior. Would you bless us as we go? Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.